0: Welcome to PICU Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensives. I'm Pradeep Kamath, coming to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. And I'm Rahul Demania from Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital. And we are two pediatric
1: ICU physicians passionate about all things med ed in the PICU and acute care pediatric setting. PICU Doc on Call focuses on interesting PICU cases and management in the acute care pediatric setting. So, let's get into
0: our episode today. Welcome to our episode of a four-day-old infant with jaundice and vomiting. Here's the case presented by Rahul.
1: A full-term, four-day-old boy presents to the emergency department after recently being discharged from the newborn nursery. Her mom, the patient, quote, looked yellow and was having difficulty with feeding. Mother states that the patient would be increasingly sleepy, and will only latch to the breast for five minutes. The patient has been having decreased wet diapers and has been having stools that are loose and non-bloody. Mother was concerned today as the child continued to look yellow, especially in the eyes. The child also had four episodes of vomiting and overall was just acting very lethargic. The patient presented to the emergency room, afebrile, tachypneic, and tachycardic. The patient was noted to have an initial serum glucose of 70. As the patient was increasingly dehydrated, laboratory testing was difficult to obtain. On presentation, the infant was fussy for the caregivers. The patient was resuscitated with two 10-per-kilo normal saline boluses and responded well. Point-of-care ultrasound noted normal four-chamber cardiac anatomy and squeeze. Given the instability... Of the patient, RAM cannula was initiated, and the patient presented
0: to the PICU. To summarize key elements from this case, this four day old infant has an acute presentation of jaundice and poor feeding, prominent GI symptoms with dehydration, a sepsis like presentation with hemodynamic instability, which is responsive to fluids. All of these bring up a concern for an inborn error of metabolism such as galactosemia.
1: Now, this episode will be organized into three sections. We're going to be talking about the clinical presentation, the laboratory findings, as well as biochemistry, and then finally conclude with the management of galactosemia. Rahul, let's start with a multiple choice question. Of the following biochemical enzymes, which of the following is deficient in classic galactosemia? A, UDP transferase. B, aldolase B, C. Galactose 1 uridyl transferase or D. Galactokinase?
0: Rahul, and the correct answer is C. Galactose 1 uridyl transferase or simply called as GALT. Classic galactosemia is caused by deficiency of galactose 1 phosphate uridyl transferase or the GALT enzyme. We should contrast this with galactokinase deficiency. These two conditions present quite differently. Galt deficiency presents, in uh, like in our patient, with jaundice, vomiting, hepatomegaly, renal dysfunction, and sepsis. Galactokinase deficiency has less of the systemic symptoms, and these patients present with cataracts, which are usually bilateral, but can resolve with diet therapy in the future. To go through our other answer choices, remember aldolase B is the rate-limiting enzyme in fructose metabolism. And thus, a deficiency of this enzyme can cause diseases like hereditary fructose intolerance. With this lead in question, let's pivot into the biochemistry of galactose and review key lab findings in a patient with galactosemia. Rahul, can you give us a quick summary of how galactose is metabolized in our body? Well, I'll try not to bore everybody with
1: intricate biochemistry, but I will kind of give you some high points. Taking a step back, remember that galactose is a sugar found primarily in human milk and milk products as part of the disaccharide lactose. Remember, lactose is glucose plus galactose. Now, this lactose is hydrolyzed to glucose and galactose by the intestinal enzyme lactase. The galactose is actually converted to glucose for use as energy source, However, it needs a series of reactions before we get from galactose to glucose. So let's go through those reactions. First, you have the enzyme galactokinase, and this catalyzes the reaction from galactose to galactose-1-phosphate. Then we get to our rate-limiting enzyme, and that's the one that Pradeep was talking about in the multiple choice question. Galactose-1-phosphate, uridyl transferase, or GALT. GALT is the rate-limiting enzyme, and it actually helps place a sugar moiety on the galactose-1-phosphate to turn it into glucose 1-phosphate. And this glucose 1-phosphate can be utilized in glycolysis or glycogenesis. So a complete deficiency in GALT is known as classic galactosemia. And if recognized, these patients typically develop failure to thrive, liver and kidney dysfunction, and sepsis. And if detected later in life, or even if treated with dietary modification, these children can have cataracts, abnormal neurodevelopment, And in females, they can develop premature ovarian failure and infertility. Rahul, why do these
0: infants get cataracts?
1: Yes, so this is interesting and seen in many abnormalities of sugar metabolism, even in hereditary fructose intolerance. Now, cataracts may be present at birth, but generally appear after two weeks as a result of increased accumulation of the sugar alcohol galactical. And this is actually derived from abnormally metabolized galactose which ends up actually depositing in the lens now the cataracts usually are bilateral and can resolve with dietary therapy and so doing a eye exam especially the newborn eye exam is very important
0: clinically rahul that's an excellent basic science review let's get back to our case and go into the lab findings which were found in our patient remember thus far The patient came to the PICU on ram cannula after resuscitation due to hemodynamic instability. So this patient's labs were
1: notable for a transaminitis, an elevated PT to 51.3, and an INR of 5.5. He was actually empirically treated with IV antibiotics and fresh frozen plasma with little change in status. And liver transplantation was actually discussed with the parents pretty early on in his course. On day of life four, his newborn screen was reported as having low GALT activity, concerning for galactosemia. And he was placed on a galactose restricted diet. And RBC enzyme testing for GALT and DNA testing were sent. Notably, his blood culture resulted a few days later and was noted to have gram negative rods, which ended up being pan sensitive E. coli. So, this is a classic presentation of galactosemia. And Pradeep, do you mind just breaking down the labs and presentation a bit more?
0: Yeah, I think among infants with galactosemia who present with sepsis, the most common organism is E. coli. This is seen in about 75% of the cases. Less frequent findings are coagulopathy, ascites, and seizures. Please note principal cause of early mortality in classic galactosemia is sepsis, which is most often caused by E. coli. So to summarize, classic
1: galactosemia should be considered in any newborn who presents with the findings noted in our case. And these include jaundice, vomiting, hepatomegaly, poor feeding, failure to thrive, lethargy, diarrhea, or sepsis. It should be also suspected in any infant with a positive newborn screen. Also, very important to note that affected infants may become symptomatic before the newborn screen results are available. And this is exactly what was seen in our patient. So let's just say that you have a newborn screen in front of you, and it shows an abnormality in the GALT enzyme, or there's a high clinical suspicion. Pradeep, what's the gold
0: standard for diagnosis? I think the gold standard for diagnosis is to consult with your genetics first. I think the gold standard for diagnosis of inborn errors should be an early genetics consult. Now, in this case, the demonstration of nearly complete absence of galactose 1-phosphate uridyl transferase or the GALT enzyme activity in red blood cells is really the gold standard for diagnosis. Quantitative assay of RBC-GALT activity using a fluoroimmunoassay or radioimmunoassay is necessary to confirm the diagnosis.
1: So it is important to note that quantitative assay of RBC-GALT may be affected for as long as three months by any RBC transfusion. So clinically, holding an extra red-top tube when you're doing your initial blood draw and when the patient initially presents is really important, especially when you have a broad differential, which includes an inborn error of metabolism. So now we've confirmed the diagnosis, let's say have a very high index of suspicion that we're dealing with galactosemia. What is your management framework in these children?
0: I think good supportive care in the PQ is the mainstay of therapy in these patients. The main goal of long-term treatment of classic galactosemia is to minimize dietary galactose intake. Galactose should be excluded from the diet as soon as galactosemia is suspected. Other initial care should be provided as needed to treat jaundice, sepsis, and abnormalities of liver, kidneys, and the central nervous system. Supportive therapy includes hydration, IV antibiotics, and treatment of the coagulopathy, although problems usually resolve quickly after dietary treatment is begun. It is important to have close communication with the metabolic team, the genetics team, as well as your dietitians in the PICU. These children are typically placed on a soy-based infant formula appropriate for galactosemia, such as Alsoy, Isomil, Nersoy, and Prosobi. Please note that mother's breast milk has galactose and should be avoided. Lactose-free infant formulas should not be used because they have not been proven to be safe for patients with galactosemia. The dietary component is very important, as long-term, you will be monitoring this children's neurodevelopment, growth, ovarian function, and vision. In a survey of 177 patients with galactosemia who are at least 6 years old, and had no other cause for poor outcome, 45% had developmental delay, and many affected children had speech and language problems. Moreover, premature ovarian failure occurred in females with classic galactosemia affecting 81% of the females in, in that study.
1: Well, great discussion today, Pradeep. And If you all are interested in more inborn errors of metabolism cases, feel free to check out our episode on this podcast topic. The episode is entitled Acute Metabolic
0: Emergencies in the PICU. And I think folks should also go and listen to the unstable neonate episode, because inborn errors can be one of the differential diagnoses for a neonate who's unstable. Now, Rahul, great discussion today. Can you please summarize our podcast for today? Sure. I have three summary points.
1: So number one, classic galactosemia is caused by a deficient GALT enzyme. Remember that classic galactosemia is an autosomal recessive disorder and is detected on newborn screen in all 50 states. Point number two, newborns with a positive screening test for galactosemia should be changed immediately to a soy-based infant formula and should stop breastfeeding. This is all in the context of confirming the diagnosis. And our final point today is that infants with classic galactosemia usually present in the first few days after initiation of galactose-containing human breast milk or cow's milk-based feeding. And so signs and symptoms include jaundice, vomiting, hepatomegaly, failure to thrive, and sepsis due to what organism? And that is E. coli.
0: This concludes our episode on the approach to galactosemia. We hope you found value in a short, Case-Based Podcast. We welcome you to share your feedback, subscribe, and place a review on our podcast. Please visit our website, pqdoconcall.org, which showcases our episodes as well as our Doc on Call management cards. PQ Doc on Call is co-hosted by myself, Pradeep Kamath, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimenia. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. (music) we oh.